Morning everyone, I'm Carolyn. And I'm Ben. We've been a part of Ebby for about 14 years. And this morning we are carrying on our series in the Psalms and we're looking at Psalm 6 and the idea of lament. What it is, why it's so important and how we should do it. Now we're going to touch on some of the real life today issues that give rise to lament, including racism and abuse. Um, so if hearing about these subjects might cause you harm, um, please feel free to pause or switch off or do what you need to do to take care of yourself. Um, we're going to start by reading the passage together. Um, and just as we do this, uh, I want you to, without thinking about it too much or trying to get too clever about it, um, just notice any bits that sort of sound louder to you. As we're reading it, there'll naturally bits that, be bits that you sort of zone out of slightly, and there'll be other bits that um, stand out to you or, or really grab your attention. And just try and notice those as we're reading it together. Um, so yeah, let's get stuck into Star. Can we, can we just, before we read it, can we do the quick disclaimer on the heading? Uh, what's the disclaimer on the heading? Okay, so um, you'll notice that it's called a Psalm of David, um, but that's not necessarily to say it was written by David. Oh yeah, this one's fine. <laughs> um, the Hebrew is a bit ambiguous. It could just as well be translated for David um, or to David. And the name David can be used as shorthand for his entire royal lineage. Um, so, for example, one suggestion is that these headings uh, might be a way of dedicating Psalms to the current Davidic king. I think it's important to bear this in mind, because if we read it taking for granted that it's written by a man um, who also happens to be royalty, um, we project all sorts of narrowing assumptions onto the experiences that are being described, um, and that can stop us from relating to it. And actually, in fact, um, it's entirely plausible that some of the Psalms uh, were written by women. Um, so there's female prophets in the Bible, Holder, Deborah, Miriam, and other women like Hannah, um, whose songs and prayers um, are recorded in some of the narrative books of the Bible. Okay, cool. Well, in that case, do you want to maybe read it out then? And uh, that will hopefully help people not to hear it in an automatically male voice. Is that okay? Sure. All right. Um, and then remember, um, as we're reading it, you... You, not you. <laughs> you listen out for the bits um, that jump out to you. Um, so yeah, let's read Psalm 6. To the leader, with stringed instruments, according to the Sheminith, a psalm of David. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, or discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. O Lord, heal me for my bones are shaking with terror. My soul also is struck with terror, while you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, save my life. Deliver me for the sake of your steadfast love, for in death there is no remembrance of you. In shale, who can give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. They grow weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and struck with terror. They shall turn back and in a moment be put to shame. All right, well, there we go. Uh, a poem about being really sad, because that's what lament means, right? I'm pretty sure 
if you asked people on the street, it's a slightly obscure word, and I think people would guess that it basically meant being really sad. Like lamentations is kind of people wailing in in sadness, right? Um, but actually, I'm not sure if that's the most helpful definition or kind of mental picture to have, certainly for not for what we're talking about this morning. Um, the sort of lament that we're talking and thinking about, um, it's not so much about lament as being like the opposite of happy. Um, it's more like lament as the opposite of denial or of silence, of keeping everything bottled up and swept under the carpet. Um, talking about lament as a sort of an active verb, a thing that you choose to do, not just feeling sad or being down or experiencing low mood. Um, what we mean by lament is like acknowledging, naming, calling out, recognizing. You had a good word for it. What was your? Exposing. Exposing. Expo exa ex exposing. Exactly that. Exposing things that are painful or wrong or not as they should be, things that are unjust. Yeah, doing lament doesn't just mean putting aside five minutes of your day to feel mopey or um, adding a minor chord song into your set list um, instead of only having happy thoughts and cheery songs. Um, it means speaking and hearing the truth, um, even if it's painful or costly to do so. Um, and both parts of that are important, as we'll come on to. Um, and, and that's instead of denial, suppression and silence. Um, and as such, and we've mentioned this in the last three weeks running, I think. Um, this is another connection between the Psalms and justice, um, because real lament is the opposite of denial, suppression and silence. Um, it's a crucial ingredient of justice. Yeah, you can't have a just and a good world if it's built on denial or just keeping the untidy bits hidden off camera. If you can't handle the truth, um, then you probably don't have genuine justice or goodness. So that's the kind of lament that we're talking about this morning. And I think um, once we start to get that meaning of lament, um, hopefully the second question of why it's so important mostly takes care of itself. Um, hopefully we don't need to use 10 minutes on a Sunday morning with all of you explaining why speaking and hearing the truth in pursuit of a good and just world, even if it's painful, um, is an important thing to do. It's, it's one of those things that's sort of self-evident almost in pretty much any part of life you care to think of. It's one of those things we just sort of know, right? Um, whether that's in our relationships, where pretty much every book will tell you that honest communication is key, um, or the character in the zombie film who conceals the fact that they've been bitten, you know, and they don't tell the rest of the group because they're too ashamed to confront that truth. And it's always a disaster. Um, whether it is in really sort of silly circumstances like that, um, almost any cringe sitcom character you can think of, um, the Alan Partridges or the David Brents of this world, um, one of their things is they don't have this lament faculty that we're talking about. They can't bear to face uncomfortable truths about themselves and they'll put a brave face on and come up with any kind of nonsense to cover up those realities. And that is what makes them so excruciating. That's what we laugh at about them. So we know it even in comedies. Um, so in silly situations, right up to really incredibly serious situations, um, like the recent government report that found that there is no systemic racism in Britain. Um, but it basically didn't even factor in things like the Windrush scandal or the circumstances around the Grenfell Tower fire. Um, it just sort of 
glossed over all the uncomfortable realities in its desperation to be able to say, everything's okay, everything's good, everything's fine. That's choosing um, falsehoods that make us feel good over truths that might be painful to hear. Um, and that is pretty much the opposite of lament. Okay, so let's say that we all get why it's important generally to speak and hear the truth, even when it hurts us, and not just to persist in denial. Um, but we did also say at the top that this was about practicing lament and actively choosing to do it. Um, and we just wanted to say a little bit about why the practicing piece of this is so important as well. Um, so we can see something of this in Psalm 6 itself. Um, it's interesting and important to notice that it's not just a spur-of-the-moment outpouring of raw emotion. Um, it's a crafted piece of liturgy um, for use in a public space of worship. Um, it's even got instructions to the musicians, um, including the word Sheminith, which uh, might have been a musical instrument or a particular known tune. Um, so just because it's an individual, individual lament, um, that doesn't make it private. Um, it seems to take for granted that there's going to be um, a congregation listening as well as a divine audience um, and the fact that it's just one of over 40 similar psalms included in um, ancient Israel's songbook um, implies that it represents an important component of the worship life of the community at that time. So we'll do some more detail on that in a second when we talk about the how part of things um, but the top line really on why it's important to practice lament um, is basically because it feels rubbish most of the time to do it. It's not a thing that you're going to want to do very often if left to your own devices. It doesn't come naturally in our consumerist culture to either hear or speak um, painful and potentially distressing truths. Now, that is a whole other talk that we won't do today. But basically, yeah, everything around us tells us to avoid things that make us uncomfortable, things that make us squirm, even when they're things inside ourselves. Um, and that's why it's so important that we practice it and practice it together. Um, we know it's an important thing to do, but when the moment comes, often it's way too easy to duck out, to just default to not speaking these things or to not hearing them. We don't want to hear the unpleasant truths. And taking that comfortable way of the feel-good denial, the brushing it under the carpet and carrying on with what seems happier or more optimistic. Um, so that's why it's really important that we help each other to develop those reflexes to be able to hear and speak that stuff by getting the practice in first. So with the rest of the time, we're going to just quickly look at um, the how. Um, one way that we can help um, change that reflex and to practice lament, literally practice it, um, both in how we read the Bible and how we read the world, how we interact, how we do our day-to-day -day lives. Um, so to start with that, let's, let's go back to Psalm 6. Uh, so I reckon the way you read this psalm at first was probably to imagine yourself in the place of the author, um, so that when it says me, it means you. Um, and that's a valid and important way to read it when you are in the midst of suffering or oppression. The psalmist cries out against suffering in all its dimensions, um, physical bodily pain, the psychological anguish of terror, um, a painful spiritual sense of divine abandonment, an intense emotional outpouring with tears and the social affliction of human enemies. Um, this combination gives poignant recognition to the fact that different forms of suffering very often connect um, and compound one another. 
So illness, for example, um, is more, ex more acutely experienced and more life-threatening uh, for people who also suffer poverty or who experience racial injustice in the healthcare system. Um, but the breadth of the description also means there's lots of ways each of us might relate to the psalm personally at different times in our lives. So an aspect that resonates for me um, is the psalmist's sense of having been abandoned by God. And this was an anxiety that was made more acute for me by some very painful and lonely experiences in church growing up. Um, so reading Psalm 6 from the perspective of the author uh, can help us identify and give voice to our own suffering and uh, to draw hope as well and courage um, from the confident assertion at the end of the psalm that God listens and will act. But it's not the only way to read that psalm. Um, it's not the only perspective we can view it from. And the imaginative act of reading it from other perspectives is a really, really key part of practising lament. Um, it's also good practice generally when reading the Bible. So a second position we can take with Psalm 6. So if the, the first position was um, reading it as if we were the author, that those words are our words, that we're the one feeling the distress. But a second position we can take is that of the congregation, um, the other people hearing the words of the author. Um, and that is our place to stand with a responsibility to hear their lament and to stand in solidarity with the person who is suffering before God and to together do our bit to live out the covenant faithfulness of God in the community that God is providing through us. Um, the instructions in Psalm 6 to the musicians point towards a community that is actively amplifying the lamenting voice of the person who is suffering. And when we hear lament, it's really important that we don't silence it or police it or sort of try and quieten it down um, to fit a PR agenda or to make ourselves more comfortable. Oh, that's, that's a bit much, that's a bit strong, that's bringing the vibe down. Can we just, it's really important that we don't minimise that stuff. Um, and you don't need to look far for some really horrific stories of this um, in the world and in the church. Um, lots of stories of churches covering up abuse, for example, because it's bad for our witness or whatever. It's really important that we don't do that. When lament is being spoken, sometimes our role as a congregation is to hear that and to make sure that it is heard. And so taking that perspective, the position of the congregation in Psalm 6, one of our parts is to make laments visible, audible, um, and to share in them together. Uh, maybe a bit like in 1 Corinthians 12, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Um, and that's a really important part of practising lament because it stops us falling into the idea that, well, you know, that's a sad thing that's happened for them over there, but not really anything to do with me. Um, the injustices that affect somebody should be shared by all of us. And I know that that is hard because it can make the world feel really overwhelming and there's a lot of injustices and oppression and lament out there. And if we're hearing all of it all the time, doesn't that just get a bit much? But that's why it's so important that we practice this stuff. We can't just stop hearing people's lament because we're worried we don't have the stomach for it. And then there's the third perspective you can take, which is the one that nobody likes. Uh, the one that's really hard to do. Um, but what other position could we stand in in relation to this psalm? My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. 
away from me, all you who do evil. There are oppressors on the scene. Fellow humans have contributed to the distress that the author is experiencing. So what happens if we imagine ourselves in their shoes? What if we're the ones who have caused this psalm to be written? What if it's about us? When we recognise ourselves as the enemy against whom the psalmist appeals, practising lament means hearing the psalm as a right reproach against us. Our response when we read it from this perspective should be to tremble at the faithfulness of God and repent. And this will be true of all of us, whoever we are, in some situation in our lives, individually or collectively, or as part of a whole society, there will be situations where we are the baddie, where we are the oppressors, and we're the ones that have caused this lament to be spoken in the first place. Um, and all I'm going to do now is just leave a little bit of space for us to each think about what those situations might be for us. Okay, last, last bit now. Um, by the way, in case you wondered why we've been jumping around various different bits of our house, uh, we just thought that might be a handy little visual reminder of this idea of taking different perspectives and seeing things from different standpoints. Maybe that'll help it stick in your mind. Um, but there is one more pretty important perspective that we need to think about, um, and that is God's perspective. So what do we see if we look at this psalm from where God stands? So I think the sheer quantity of lament in the Bible um, itself makes a bold and hope-filled statement about the character of God. Um, it shows a confidence that God is just and righteous and compassionate, that God hears and stands with oppressed people. I wish we'd left more time to talk about this um, and also how it can be seen in Jesus' life, um, in the way he identifies with marginalised people um, and how his death as an embodied expression of profound solidarity with those experiencing suffering in all its dimensions. Um, and there's lots we could have said about Jesus' own practice of lament and use of lament psalms. But even without going into depth, I think the character of God revealed in Psalm 6 and in Jesus um, helps us to understand lament as something that is ultimately hopeful, not despairing. So maybe it helps to look at some concrete examples of what we mean by that. So, okay, so let's say that we do this. Let's suppose that we have embraced lament as part of our worship practice. Um, how does that start to impact on our day-to-day -day life? Um, a lot of it, I think, just comes down to attention. Um, attention to what's going on inside us, what's going on around us, what's going on out of sight from us. Um, attention that keeps in mind the justice and the righteousness of God and is braced to recognise and to lament the ways that the world that we see around us falls short of that. Um, so for example, pretty much everybody here, everyone on watching this, will have a mobile phone. Um, in fact, day-to-day -day life in the UK relies so much on having access to a phone that really it's more a necessity at this point than a luxury. But um, even the most careful consumer um, would in practice struggle to source 
um, a, an ethical foam. Suffering and exploitation are tightly woven into every stage of the production process, beginning with supply of the minerals required for the electronics. So many of these are mined in conflict zones like the Democratic Republic of Congo, um, using child and slave labour, um, with the profits then channelled into the ongoing violence of war. Um, and the production lines as well for making the phones are strategically located in parts of the world where workers are least well paid and least protected. Now, those realities don't come anywhere near me when I'm in the shiny gadget store or Tesco <laughs> picking out an upgrade for my phone because my two-year-old model is outdated and it's time to renew my contract and get a new handset. Like, I just, that doesn't come anywhere near me when I'm in the middle of that process. And it's tempting then to feel like, well, surely it's just better not to know or not to think about it because well, what choice have we got? We've got to have a phone. So what good does it do to think about all this suffering? What good does it do to let ourselves feel awful if we can't actually change anything about that? But that denial isn't just the closing of our ears to the lament of each child and each enslaved person and each exploited worker who helped put the phone into our hands. Um, it's also the denial of the possibility of any better way. It's the passive acceptance of an oppressive, grasping, consumerist status quo as the inevitable, just the way things are. Allowing ourselves to feel and express the horror of realities that we are complicit in and powerless to change. And I'm really bad at doing that, um, I should say at this point. Um, but it is an act of faith. Um, faith in a loving creator God who hears every lament, who hates suffering and injustice, who is not constrained by just the way things are and is working to change it even to involve us in that change, even if we can't begin to picture what that looks like. And that will or should make us really, really sad. Um, but then what did we think we meant when we sing Break My Heart for What Breaks Yours? The phone example is handy because it's a very specific and visual reminder that we carry around in our pockets of the way that all of us are tangled up in these systems that favour some at the cost of others. Others who are equally created and loved by the God who stands against all oppression. There's plenty of really close to home examples too. You never have to go looking far for lament, um, like we've talked about. You just have to listen for it and be willing to hear it. So for example, you could listen back to Kosa's talk from a few months ago about how joining or amplifying the widespread lament against racism and police brutality that began in the aftermath of the killing of George Floyd, that can help us individually in society, in our churches, to face up to that horrifying wrongness of how things are and to say that how things are isn't inevitable um, and that they're not what God desires and to get ourselves ready for needed change change that is going to be costly for those of us who benefit from the status quo as it is now. Now, all of these things that we've talked about, they all start from speaking and hearing lament, um, being willing to face up to truths even when they're painful, and from taking that time to be attentive to different perspectives in our reading of the Bible, but in our day-to-day -day lives as well, to not just assume that we're the hero of every story and to be willing to speak and to hear lament.
but let's make sure that we are doing that, that we are hearing and speaking and sharing in lament when it is needed.